When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Raw. It's John Pollock here alongside Waiting. Um, over the weekend, I was informed that today was a holiday in Canada. So it was nice to have a day off. Perfect. Stay home. Do some work from home. Uh, take in Victoria Day here in Canada. Happy Victoria Day, Way. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Is it a holiday in the U.S. as well? Next week, they have Memorial Day. Okay. All right. Cool. Everyone's due for a holiday. Uh, some people. This feels like any other day. That's the whole point of my uh, beginning discussion here. But that's all. How are you? How was your weekend? Well, I had a good weekend, actually. Yeah, it was good. Um, Yeah, it was good. Uh, Today, not so great. No, today was a really um, awful day. Um, I think we should just get right into uh, the news off the top and uh, just two really, really sad stories. Uh, Starting off with uh, Shad Gaspard, who we got the report today that there was uh, an issue at the beach in in Venice Beach on Sunday where Shad was with his his wife and 10-year-old son. And him and his son had gone swimming and there was a rip current where lifeguards were frantically trying to get people out and Gaspard directed the lifeguards to take care of his son. And in the midst of this, a giant wave hit and he has gone missing. They have been unable to locate him. It looks very grim. Uh, It's just a heartbreaking story. And this I mean, th- this guy was an absolute hero in th- this moment, and it's it obviously just looks really bad uh, in terms of uh, you know the news that that is out there. There is no official announcement. Uh, the family is requesting privacy right now, but this was uh, this just totally rocked me when I heard the story today. And then there was more to come. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. Um, just considering, I think how. I don't know, normal of a, of an occasion. This seemed, you know, to start, I mean, you know, undoubtedly I'm sure, you know, everybody at this point, um, has been cooped up in their houses and just enjoy like a really nice weekend with the family and, and to turn it into such tragedy is just incredibly heartbreaking. Um, you know, um, it's, um, it's been a while, I would say since, you know, he's sort of been in the, in the spotlight within a wrestling circle, but like, I think everybody, you know, has memories of him as a performer. Um, me specifically, like I, 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 I'm, I think uh, we met him. I don't know if you were on this this one, John, but like I was there probably uh, at a comic con. Uh, in fact, maybe even the San Diego Comic Con. When um, yes, were you there? I was. Maybe we're talking about a separate thing. I definitely, I recall interviewing both of them. Uh, Shad and JTG at a convention, but maybe this was separate. I didn't go to the San Diego one with you. It might have been a different Comic Con at this point. I, they all kind of blended together, but um, 
I mean, from from my recollection, was just incredibly. This was after he was in the WWE, but like just had a fantastic energy about him and was just incredibly gracious and a fellow comic fan um, as well. You know, somebody who actually wanted to produce comics. So when when we went to that Observer, um, they they were doing like a get together with all their listeners at uh, UFC. I want to say it was one seventy five weekend in two thousand fourteen. And I don't know if you came with me to this or not, but I went there and and the two of them just showed up like they just came by and like said hello to everybody. I don't think I was at that one. No. OK. Um, it, it's really unfortunate news, just um, re- really terrible. And just fr- from all accounts, this was a guy that was just uh, so popular among mm. all of his uh, friends. He had branched out a lot to television, film roles. He had uh, tried to get a comic book going. Um just um, and very young as well. So again, nothing is official right now, but he is, you know, you would be classified as missing right now. Uh, and then we had the news that just uh, came out of nowhere as well. And that was the passing of Larry Sonka, who was a writer for years and years at 411 Mania and is probably the most extensive reviewer uh, you're going to find of wrestling shows. This guy reviewed everything. It was like if there was a wrestling show, this guy had a report on it and in pretty quick fashion. I mean, uh, it's just to me, he was such a go to for so many people when it came to uh, keeping up with with all the wrestling that was out there. He would do constant reviews and he reached out to me, I want to say around 2004, just looking to do any kind of like reports and stuff on the law site. So he did reports for a while at the law. I want to say it was around 2004. And then I think from there he went on, it might've been straight to 411. I don't know if there was somewhere in between, but that was kind of my interaction with him. And, you know, last year he had had um, this unfortunate injury that required um, his leg, uh, at least a portion of it to be amputated and had come back and was, you know, still doing all of his reviews. And this guy was just a workhorse and um, leaves behind a family. Um, just both of those stories today. I, I mean, they really got me down, both of them. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, this one, I think even more. Um, it, it's weird because, well, first of all, I wanted to ask you, is the proper pronunciation of his last name Sanka or Kosanka? Because I've, I've heard both. I believe it was Sanka. Okay. Well, in either case, um, you know, like his is really interesting because like he's somebody I've never met, but at the same time, you almost kind of feel like, you know, because you read his work so often, um, like pretty much any show that you would, you know, think about if you just Googled it, um, for Rwanda way or whatever, like he would probably have done a review on it. And, you know, uh, for one, one being, I would say a pretty like notable website for wrestling news throughout the entire time I've, uh, been a, been a fan you know for many years um he, i i mean certainly like i would say somebody who kind of created a or helped create you know inform the the type of template of the industry that you and i work in right now absolutely and uh just to see all the people uh tweeting about his work uh from wrestlers to different media to fans readers um i mean that's to me, it's a great sign of appreciation for all the work uh, that this individual did uh, for all these years. That was tireless work and just such a um, 
just a constant um, voice that was always out there that was doing uh, so much work that people were just, um, you know, just always uh, accustomed to seeing all of his reviews. And he did podcasts as well and, and previews like he did just so much work. Like to me, he was just synonymous uh, with with that site. He will be greatly uh, missed and obviously condolences uh, to his family. Uh, also, we have uh, just moving on. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov put out uh, an update today, and this was uh, he put this on his Instagram page, and it was translated. Um, last week, the news had come out that his father was in really bad bad health, and uh, Khabib went on to say that he's had heart complications as a result of COVID nineteen, and that he had had a, uh, a a heart operation a year ago, and the virus has caused issues uh, for his father. Um, he said that, uh, you know, obviously Khabib and his father are super, super close. So this is, you know, greatly affected him. And he went on to say that he's had 20 relatives um, that have been in intensive care. So he was talking about uh, COVID-19. He said, many people I know have died, the parents of people close to me. The virus has affected everyone. This virus doesn't ask what your surname or name is. This virus doesn't ask where you work, if you are rich or poor. Everyone has got ill uh, we can only overcome this together. So that is um, very significant, um, just the the number of people attached to his family that have been uh, affected by this and including his father. So, you know, I I, I would imagine his, his head is not in any kind of mindset to be uh, fighting when he's got all of this that he's dealing with. But um, at, at one point, his father uh, had been in a coma last week. He apparently has come out of the coma but is obviously still dealing with a lot of significant health issues uh, related to this. So that was a notable story uh, that we got an update on today. Uh, California, Texas, and New York um, are all kind of discussing plans to allow sports into their states uh, without fans, without spectators. Um, California, I guess the most interesting one, just the fact that they have been so conservative in all of their planning uh, has kind of stated that, you know, if the cases continue to, you know, stay at a, at a certain rate and they're coming down, they're looking at, at June 1st as this being a possibility. Um, New York is willing to allow uh, sports without fans as of May 31st uh, and New York looking at this option as well. So you're seeing major states that look to be opening up their doors, at least for these these leagues and such. And by extension, that would mean more options for uh, UFC to go to, more options for uh, professional wrestling to go to as well. And you're getting uh, at least parts of the country that are looking like sports is kind of becoming like their testing ground of where, what can we allow in like a very controlled environment, knowing that they're, Still going to be some risk involved, but it seems that sports right now is something that states are at least trying to look at as something we can try, knowing that they're not going to open them to fans, though. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Real, really interesting to to hear about other states um, and uh, really other leagues, you know, starting to come back. Um, I'm really curious to know what testing procedures, if any, any of them might implement any in, you know, production wise. I'm kind of really curious to see how. They treat these sort of empty arena shows as well. well. You know, what have they? What would they have learned from? I would say the experiments that have taken place thus far from all the other leagues that have started already. Um, yeah, we'll find out. 
Yeah, I mean, the UFC over the weekend, if people were curious, like they were still doing the in-octagon interviews, so it looks like they're they're going forward with that. It wasn't just a case of, you know, allowing Joe Rogan the one time. They seemed to be continuing that. There were there were some without masks. I mean, Dana White was there, cage side. But, I, you know, Wednesday and Saturday went on without a hitch. There were no new positive tests beyond, like, that that first week with the three. And, I mean, you have to look at it. Here we are on a Monday night that you have to look at it like they they did pull this off. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I would say so. Um, but uh, you know, again, I are we so quick enough to be able to say that without knowing afterwards? Well, there's or not people are being tested. Well, I mean, we know that they did something like eleven hundred tests um, throughout this this week. And, you know, I would say that first batch, you would look now that they are, I mean, you're not, you're not two weeks out yet. Those people would have gone home on the Sunday. So we're still only eight days removed from that first show. Like you are right that it doesn't mean that all of these cases have, um, you know, you can completely just check them off that everyone is in the clear now that they're home. Um, There's definitely the period now that you you hope there's no complications from all of this. So it, at least now, though, it, there hasn't been any new cases. So you can at least look at that, that there has not been uh, th- this wave of people that have been coming to Jacksonville that have been testing positive And, you know, they have been doing rigorous testing. We are not aware of any COVID-19 testing that WWE has done, and they have been doing the most consistent shows throughout this whole period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's something that the company might have to answer to um, as more leagues come back and, you know, um, presumably they institute their own testing and that starts to become the norm. On uh, over the weekend, we also got the news. Uh, PWinsider.com reported that uh, Drew Gulak's contract expired. Um, this came after he had appeared on SmackDown Friday. Great match with uh, Brian Danielson. And his contract has come to an end, and it sounds like this is a money issue that Drew Gulak was hoping for more. And I think it's a spotlight onto where WWE is, because had this been six months ago, I think Drew Gulak, in the position he is in now, I think would have gotten a very healthy contract offer, and this thing would not have expired. I think he would have immediately resigned. So that tells you that the WWE is not just throwing money um, at anyone. And again, this goes back to our discussion about uh, Ray Mysterio, that timing does not seem to be on his side, but with Drew Gulak, um, it's an interesting one as well because not a great time to be actively seeking free agency, and he's obviously sticking to his guns, believing he's worth a certain figure that WWE is not meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly puts a different uh, context to his match with Brian on SmackDown um, and how you know the two of them had, uh, I would say, a pretty... At the time, it seemed like a pretty kind of typical embrace between, you know, two stablemates. But now we kind of understand that it might be a bit more significant than that. And it's certainly a case of bad timing for for Drew Gulak. At the same time, um, I I respect somebody for, you know, not signing a deal that probably would have, you know, probably didn't make him happy. Um, and probably would have landed him in a similar spot to what he might have been through for the past couple of years. So uh, we shall see where he ends up. Yeah, it's interesting. 
I would say for him, I think you would because I don't think anyone wants to be out of work right now where there's so few companies that are going. I don't know what his options would be at the moment that you would almost push for if you can't get the money you want, get a short enough term deal and meet somewhere in the middle. Like I'll sign a one year deal. Do you think mm-hmm. do you think that would be a compromise that would work for for both sides? See where we are in a year. I feel I'm worth this or do you feel that he should take that gamble and he may have options outside of WWE? Oh, a one year deal with the WWE, you said? Let's say like a short-term deal. Like he would be willing to meet them in the middle, maybe maybe gets a small raise, not a, the bigger one he's hoping for, mm-hmm. but it's at least a short-term deal that okay, I'm going to bite the bullet that okay, there's not this is not great timing that I can't receive what I want, but in a year's time, we renegotiate where things may be very different. And let's be honest, the, the WWE is not uh, in need of any uh, assistance financially either. Like They're making this decision. They could obviously afford it, but they're they're opting not to. I mean, that's, that's assuming that they see Drew Gulak as somebody that they would even consider putting on a short-term deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't even know if they're offering short-term deals, you know, and certainly... Um, that changes depending on the uh, on the level of of um, star power that they're dealing with, and I I'm, I I guess I do question if Drew Gulak they see you know on that particular level, but um, I, is Chad Gable going to be renamed? Uh, uh, hey, look, it's uh, it's uh, Drew Drewlak. He's going to be the new Drew Gulak. You think he'll just be put right into Daniel Bryan's? Uh, They'll give him a new name, new buddy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they could do that. I mean, the, the, new, well, the new training partner of Daniel Bryan. Well, what we mean, I mean, that's I know you kind of joke, but really they have a whole roster of people that they can put into that slot. So the bargaining power now, I mean, it was always pretty bad, but especially now um, when, you know, AEW certainly poses very little threat to signing um, a lot of the talent that's out there right now. They pos- they can't possibly sign everybody, right? There's just such a such a huge, huge, huge like pool uh, and growing of talent that's out there looking for for work. Um, that I I they don't really see the threat, and you know you thus end with uh, situations like this. So, um, yeah, we we see. You know, the thing is, we don't even know much about Drew Gulak though. Is he somebody who really covets, um, you know, a, a, a position? that earns him a great paycheck or is he more happy wrestling, you know, in, in a prominent position or perhaps more likely a combination of everything. Yeah, we'll see. And, you know, it it could be a case where he him and WWE are able to reach an agreement. It may be a case where 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 they don't. We'll we'll see, but just interesting that we usually don't see those situations where someone is featured, I, I would say semi-prominently. It's not like this is a, a top guy leaving, but someone who you know, has increased his value. I think that's that's without question this year. He he has stepped up and been one of the beneficiaries of this this empty arena era over the past two months. I mean, it does surprise me that, you know, um, with him not having signed a contract, that he did end up having such a prominent position all the way up until the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, SmackDown did 2,042,000 viewers on Friday, so... Uh, being able to avoid uh, a sub two million viewership number, uh, kind of st- staying steady now at, at that uh, figure. It was relatively close to what they did uh, the week prior. And uh, the last thing we'll mention is that uh, Tuesday night it is the uh, season finale of Dark Side of the Ring, which is I think going to be the most 
Um, and I, I feel like it's the it's the one that everyone has been focused upon um, when when they laid out all of the episodes, even ahead of Benoit. I would say Martha Hart sitting down doing this interview. Uh, Oge is interviewed for it. Athena is interviewed for it. It's the first time the children have ever, to my knowledge, spoken publicly about their father's passing. And this is going to be a really heavy episode. But that's uh, coming out Tuesday night. Uh, do you see this one being their their most viewed show? Will this top the the Benoit episode? Yes, I do. I do. I think you know you couple like the story with the fact that I think up until this point, Dark Side of the Ring has really built its name up really well, especially this season with a number of episodes. Um, and the fact that Martha Hart has been doing a number of interviews. We, you know, she was recently on Talk Is Jericho. Today, she did something with CBS. Um, that coupled with, I think, just the general discussion that we, I've, I personally been hearing about the interest for the show. I, I definitely do see it, see it being Vice's probably biggest show, uh, that they've ever had. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get into Raw from the Performance Center. This was taped last week. Uh, they'll be back next week for a new week of tapings. Um, but this, um, kicked off with Charlie Caruso in the ring. It was almost like we just froze from last week and we were picking up right where we left off, where Charlie said that if Randy Orton and Edge happens, it could be considered by some as the greatest match ever. Wow. Like when when last week, I mean, last week, it, it felt like it was a catchphrase that was certainly out of nowhere. And then you suggested that this was going to be their new tagline for the pay-per-view. Oh, this is it. <laughs> and first thing we hear on this show was like Charlie saying the same words this could be the greatest wrestling match ever again and just i'm i'm really amazed of all taglines that they decide to choose this one for poor charlie to 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 utter um it can't have you heard it? sorry go ahead well i mean i just can't imagine even edge and Randy orton being happy about having their match attached to something like this yeah it's um <laughs> it's like putting Putting the most unrealistic expectation onto a match that even if it's even if it's really good, like you've labeled it something that it's absolutely impossible to achieve. So why would you even um, do that other than they figure it's a selling point like they it's not, are it's clearly of the thought all. that we're promising. Well, what if it is the greatest match? I have to see this. It absolutely is not a selling point. I think it's. If anything, it makes me go into the match already with an overly critical eye. And every time I hear Charlie say a line like that, it makes me want to laugh at it. So it turns this otherwise very serious feud into already something that I think can already be considered a bit of a joke, which is inc incredibly unfortunate for the performers. Have you heard what Drew McIntyre's new tagline is? I, I read your update today, yes. Goes out and does interviews, and it was it was brought up in one of his interviews. He is the star of Monday Night Raw, and this is a, a WWE edict that he is the star of Monday Night Raw. Now, I don't know if this is only going to uh, be for appearances, because I, I heard a separate interview where he was introduced as that as well. Uh, but he was never called that on, on the show tonight, so I don't know if it's going to be something that – um, kind of weird to use this within the body of the show that maybe it's just like a PR tag for Drew McIntyre as they send him out to do all these shows. It really is. Um, I mean, it's insane that like any company would tell an interviewer, hey, can you please promote this person as the star of our show? That's just like one of those weird WWE like PR control things that just 
makes everybody come across pretty bad. Like, how can Drew McIntyre... I mean, that's something like The Miz would do as a heel character. Well, Drew, if, if, if you if you hear the interview, like, he kind of is put off... Like, he's kind of hearing this for the first time. He's like, the star, I, I, I've never heard that before. And it's like, yeah, that's what the WWE edict is. You're the star of Monday Night Raw. It's like, uh, anyway... <laughs> It was very funny. So weird. Randy Orton comes out and he explains what a straight up wrestling match is. He says Edge was the better man at WrestleMania, but I am the superior wrestler. I don't need tables, ladders, chairs, or to be the last man standing. Athletes are a dime a dozen, but an athlete can't step in and do what what he does, including Edge. So in a roundabout way, he kind of discounted himself as a non-athlete. I guess okay in a way athletes are a diamond a dime a dozen but me me I'm something special he's saying I guess he's, he's better than a, a dime a dozen he's be, he, well, he said athletes are a dime a dozen not not lumping them in like uh, athletes uh, that okay. the, the way it was worded was just kind of uh, it was like he was uh, exempt from the term athlete he saw doubt in Edge's eyes and his grit and passion have faded away. So out comes Edge with his get grit shirt. And he says, it's a game to you, Randy, just a paycheck. Perhaps you're the most talented person I've ever seen in a ring. So the hyperbole is just mounting for this backlash show. He says, this is not the life that Randy wanted. It was the one he was handed. It was your backup plan. You don't care. You never went to bed as a child dreaming of being champion like I did, saving your money to attend the next event like I did, crying the night you won your first intercontinental title like I did because it established me on the road to being a workhorse here in this company and reminds Randy he beat him for that title in 2004. And Orton never had a career-ending injury that he had to fight to come back from. You don't love the sport like I do, and the locker room does. And he accepts the challenge. Randy leaves, and then we cut to Samoa Joe, who says, this has the potential to be the greatest wrestling match ever, with the exception of my match with Kobashi in 2005. I I couldn't believe he said that. Yeah, got a <laughs> the star of All Japan Pro Wrestling and the star of Pro Wrestling oh, Noah geez. Kenta Kobashi. Yes, yes, of course. Uh Yeah, what a like aside from all that weirdness, I mean, I I I think these two continue to showcase excellent serious chemistry in this build and it's no easy task right now you know they did such a, such a great job the first time now they have to do it again using a different reason for the match doing it without that much time separated from the wrestlemania match and this time with no crowd or no major angle like we saw the first time all they really have to rely on this time around is their ability to talk and tell stories and edge was up to bat here and i thought he hit a home run he delivered some dialogue that had a great deal of of conviction in his criticisms of Randy Orton. Um, he's an incredibly passionate talker and that I felt really sucked into the promo. It got me right back into the program. It, it was a good setup for for the match. Um, I think that it's... I'm very curious to see what they take from the last match, what they apply to this. This obviously has to close the show at Backlash. The question becomes, 
Yeah, you can't much... you can't put the greatest wrestling match ever <laughs> second to last. No, no, no. We said it's the greatest third match on a five hour <laughs> show in WWE history this year. Um, <laughs> we'll see if they move the goalposts on their qualifications, but it has to go on last. Does it get thirty minutes? Is my question. Oh, Jesus. Well, the, the, the depends on your definition of the greatest match ever. Do you feel like the great matches all need to be more than thirty? I don't think this one can be ten. Um, no. I think it should be like seventeen. I think it'll be north of twenty. My guess. You don't think it hits thirty? Oh man. You know, but we're—I think we're making a mistake comparing the last match to this one because they'll have many more. It, it's kind of weird. Because- mm, I'd argue I think they have less uh, in the in this environment in terms of what they can do for thirty minutes. I, I I contend that like you know in a falls count anywhere match you can't really do much you know in the way of wrestling moves. All they really had in their arsenal was like slamming each other's heads into into uh, walls. Um, and granted, you know, AEW just showed that you could do a whole lot more than slamming each other's heads into walls um, in a Falls Count Anywhere match. But in, in their particular match that they decided to do, they didn't do a whole lot, but like walk through the hallways and slam each other's head into objects. This match is going to be a wrestling match, John, perhaps the greatest wrestling match ever. And I think you'll see, you know, much more, um, much more of a standard, you know, narrative of wrestling match that these guys are obviously incredibly seasoned in. Murphy walked up to Rollins, who's in a suit, and Rollins has had a revelation that he's going to tell the world. Did you catch any of the new Slam segments tonight? No. Scott Stanford is now hosting these in his backyard. Is that right? Yeah, he was on his like his back deck <laughs> on a phone, like sending these in, and it's it's funny because like they're just generic reads for the network and. Like to me, it you must have this verbiage banked in the studio. Like it's not like you're plugging new events that you've got to have a a new script for. Like I guess there's maybe some mentions now of the last ride that uh, might not have been in there. But anyway, he's he's doing them from his backyard. That's neat. Yeah, yeah. Sa- saves a trip to to the studio and saves the cruise trip. Yeah, cool. I assume it's his backyard. It could have been, well, my backyard is not sufficient, so I'm going to go across town to a buddy's or something. Just but. a random person's backyard he snuck into? Yeah. Instead of in your house, he's like just outside of your house, and then the neighbors are going to, hey, are you trespassing? These could be the best segments. Scott Stanford getting chased out of Stanford. Wow. Seth Rollins and Murphy come to the ring. Um, for the Rollins handshake... And then 24 hours later, Rollins, the psychopath, just move on. We're right back to where we started with with Seth. He's now back to the Messiah and more subdued than before, which is something. Yeah. Um, you know, going back a week ago to Money in the Bank and uh, I would say a very clear tease of a babyface turn. You left that when- show feeling that way. And then on Raw, I don't even think they really played with it all that much. You know, the tension of whether or not he was going to, to actually turn babyface before he finally... Rever- not at all. Like, reverted back to being a, a full-on heel. Yeah, they didn't really spend that much time playing around with that, you know, is he or isn't he? So they come to the ring, and uh, Tom Phillips said that Ray may have nerve damage to his eye. They're waiting for the swelling to go down. It could be critical. Um. 
Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Critical to like his eyesight, critical to no, they, the eye staying I believe there. they said critical, like life Critical, like, like could, uh, could this eye injury end his life? Um, I don't know. A Not week sure. later? Rollins said he fell into a dark place after losing to Drew McIntyre, this dark place that lasted 24 hours. Without darkness, there can be no light. And he can see the light now because of Ray. And tells Ray, it was a blessing in disguise what I did to you, and you can now tell me you're welcome. Umberto Carrillo comes out to confront him. Ray is his idol, and Rollins is a coward. And Murphy stands in front. Rollins is not dressed to compete, but he volunteers for Murphy, who already has a match with Aleister Black tonight, to take on Umberto Carrillo. That was our first match, and I'm going to point out an interesting observation that of the eight matches on tonight's episode of Raw, do you know how many were interrupted with a commercial break? Okay. Uh, how many were interrupted with a break? I'm going to say uh, seven of them. Zero. What? There was not one commercial break that interrupted a match tonight. And before the main event, the longest match, three minutes and 48 seconds that the submission match got. Everything else was under that time. Until the main event. The main wow. event got nine nine minutes. That's so I, I don't know if that was they're just trying something this week, if this is a response to uh, their audience that let's do shorter matches. They definitely went through that experiment a year ago. But this one, uh, the fact you didn't notice, it wasn't as uh, painful as it was last year where they had to come up with all these ways to break up matches to go to commercials. They just did short matches on this show. It was all like two to three minute matches. Well, I skipped through all the commercial breaks anyway. We had, uh, again, short match here. Carrillo gets yanked off the turnbuckle, uh, nailed Murphy with an insiguri, but then he's distracted by Seth, goes for a springboard, caught with a knee, and Murphy's Law, 2 minutes, 50 seconds. Murphy gets the win, and then they're beating down Carrillo when Alistair Black runs down to help, and Murphy ducks Black Mass, retreating to the floor, and... Alistair Black is seething, and we'll get Murphy and Black later in the show. Yep, yep, short acrobatic match, really all it needed to be. King Corbin's backstage yelling at a PA. He wants his own locker room, which I think in this climate, completely reasonable request. Yeah, sure. If Shouldn't be stuffing all these guys into a locker room. He meets with the referee. He said, there were fingerprints on my crown, and t- he needs to get his own food and tells the referee to fix this. You know, in, in short doses, in a lower enough role, th- this guy is, is more than fine and like a uh, fine personality. Those are, that's a, those are a lot of qualifiers. Well, th- this guy requires a lot of qualifiers to make him have his, his part in this show. But in small, small doses... I'm fine with this guy. Like, he's just an obnoxious dick. Like, that's the character. Sure. The problem is, once you're looking at your watch, and suddenly this is the nine-minute match on the show with this guy. Total Bella's promo, Artem might propose to Nikki. What will Nikki say? Find out. We came back from break. Liv Morgan is nearly in tears talking about her mom. Her mom is her hero. Her mom didn't have a job or a savings account, but she had determination. 
She never quit, and I am my mother's daughter. I learned from my loss to Charlotte Flair. And just like my mother... Oh, she learned, just like her mother would, and one day, she is going to be Raw Women's Champion. So, in her quest to figure things out, she's on her path. Yes, I guess so, yeah. There, there's a lot of emotion on her face right from the beginning of this segment. It certainly got my attention. You could tell that, you know, there were, she was really trying to speak from the heart. By the end, though, I felt like this was kind of a little too short for me to realize exactly what made her mom, like, never give up, you know, never give up doing, I guess never gave up, like, what, providing? Is that what she meant? Couldn't this have worked a lot better last weekend, right after Mother's Day? Like, this would have, like, had some tie-in last week, the day after Mother's Day, as opposed to this week, where it just, we come back from break, and she's already, like, in tears. It was like, uh, I I wasn't quite following this all. Like, I kind of got the the story by the end of this. Um, She's, she's got, she, you know, she has a tough upbringing, and her mom was her, her role model here. Um, You know, this is a character that it's, um, I, I think Liv is doing the best with this, this is not always the the easiest to get across. I think she is a better speaker than most, but it was these are still it was, this was still kind of out of left field. It was difficult subject matter to I think be able to convey in such a short amount of time in the type of setting that they that she was given. You know, just just talking in front of a camera. It might be it might have been like a better story suited for like something that was a bit more pre produced. Maybe maybe we'd even get to see her with her mom, what she looks like. Um, and getting into a bit more detail about what exactly Liv was talking about. Because by the end of this, I know that she had a r- rough upbringing, but for, for it to really hit home, um, I, I don't think enough was revealed. Yeah. Um, so Flair comes out. Once again, they refer to her as the hardest working woman in any industry. Yeah. Okay. I mean, That's listen, gonna... listen, on the... On the list of like grand statements on this show, that's not even top two. Not the hardest working woman in WWE. The hardest working woman in any industry, anything, name it. Charlotte Flair's topping you in work ethic. Uh, she calls Sasha a lackey before correcting herself and saying a sidekick of Bailey. And they're building up that match for Friday, champion versus champion. And she's going to teach Bailey that there's levels to being a champion and calls out Ruby Riot. And they have a match. Riot gets taken by the hair and sent into the post. This was the first of, I think, 540 post shots on this show. Flair waves to Liv Morgan in the camera. And it was kind of strange. She was like mocking Ruby and then saying, say hello to Liv. And it was almost as though this was Ruby Riot back as a babyface and aligned with Liv Morgan, even though they were feuding last they interacted. Hmm. Liv, um... Ruby then stomp Flair's hand and hits a flatliner, rolls into this crucifix and bends back the fingers. Flair is able to get up, stomps at her. The riot kick gets stopped and then she stomps her some more. Figure eight, which she bridges on one arm because of her hand being injured and gets the tap and Flair is selling her hand. So I would imagine that plays into the match with Bailey, that she's going in with this hand injury. Hopefully. Fine match, short, very quick. Yeah, I thought a good little TV match between two veterans. You know, they're pushing Charlotte as this very dominant champion, and um, 
man, she's really being relied upon right now on all of their shows. And I'm sure they'll continue doing that with, with Becky not being around. Charlie was with Bobby Lashley and MVP walked in. He said that they will not be doing business together because Lashley is busy dealing with clowns like R-Truth and Lana and asks, what would happen if you used the full Nelson on Drew McIntyre? But you're never going to know. It's been 13 years since you had a title shot and you must be cool with that. But when is Lashley going to free Lashley? And MVP walks off and Lashley is left to contemplate this suggestion. Yeah, I thought MVP was just, as always, really good here. His delivery is very natural. He makes these otherwise, you know, very staged WWE backstage segments feel a bit more genuine. Yeah, uh, I think he's, you know, a great voice to have on, on this show that comes across very, very natural. We had our first axe-throwing segment with the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits in the park where the Viking Raiders are joined by fellow Vikings. And they have started a bonfire to create the smoke for the Street Profits. Yes. Funny. Montez Ford wants to forfeit once Ivar starts throwing and hitting the bullseye repeatedly with the axe. Uh, but there will be no forfeit. We would get many more segments to come involving the smoke. Kyrie Sane is in the ring. It's all decorated for an Oscar celebration. And Asuka comes out, thanks Kyrie, who's presenting her with flowers. They run through that she is now a Grand Slam champion, having won the NXT, SmackDown, and Raw Women's Championships, along with the women's tag titles. Asuka's dancing away, and then um, she spoke, and were you able to translate this? Asuka? Uh, yes. As uh, I could. She, did she? Okay, sure. Asuka said... There's a contest coming up in a few weeks <laughs> with post pro res. Would you like to enter Kyrie? And Kyrie said, sure. I've never heard of this show. Let's enter our submission with a flute. And right there, they a were recorder. disqualified recorder, actually a recorder. Yeah. Th this is different from a flute. Yeah. It wasn't quite a flute, but I mean, um, you never played so the they recorder could make in it. like, in like school. No. No, we had flutes and band. I played the clarinet. I think I think a recorder would be fine. She would still be eligible. Well, she starts playing, and this is broken up by Nia Jax coming out. And she said that Asuka was handed the title because Becky can't fight anymore. She's on maternity leave, and Asuka has landed a temp job. And she's going to be replaced by someone more worthy. Me. And Asuka jumps her attacks her with kicks and lays her out with a hip attack to the floor. And this was the first of several beatdowns uh, by Asuka to Nia Jax on this show. They did, a, they did a wonderful job of making me want to see this match by the end of the night. Asuka just beat the shit out of this woman all night. Well, I think part of the idea throughout this episode was to continue Asuka's babyface turn. And I found the segment really interesting because they have to do all of this without really having either her nor Kyrie be able to like, you know, rely on on typical promos, especially when you want to tell some story about a character change. So, um, despite all that, though, I thought they were incredibly successful in like creating compelling TV with such little words being spoken here, uh, namely from Kyrie, who I thought did a great job again carrying on like I would say what her and Oscar started with just 
great um, charismatic body language while mm-hmm. occasionally popping in a few English words here and there. So you do know the gist of what what it is that they're trying to say. Um, I thought it was pretty simple. It was clever. They had basically Naya beat up the friend of Asuka. And then you had Asuka stand up to the bully, standing up for her friend. And I think just the visual of seeing Asuka, the smaller person, go up unafraid completely against the giant and Nia Jax and getting the better of her repeatedly, that to me was like part of like making a badass baby face. I would have just more so built up to that. Like that should be the the challenge for Asuka. Well, I mean, the heat was like her beating up on her friend, right? And I, I do wonder if there's like any sort of um, concern about making Asuka look weak at this point. When you need, you know, a big baby face, like, you know, like the Drew McIntyre template. It, it, it is similar. Um, and Drew, you can see how how far they are going in, in that direction. Charlie interviewed King Corbin and Drew was watching the interview separately. And he said he carried Drew for a year, but he's dangerous, still makes mistakes. And next time he faces Drew, it's going to be in the main event of WrestleMania where he will take the title. This was a this was like an this was like a bit of a compliment. Like he believes, you know, Drew's going to have this title for a year. Um, sure, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Kevin Owens is back tonight. They plugged the Kevin Owens show would be coming up with Zelina Vega and crew. And our truth was in the ring. Mentioned his cousin, Pretty Ricky, told him that Lashley has been a bad man. And aired the attack last week. So I guess we're to believe that last week, this was pretty Ricky getting beaten up. And R-Truth is finding out about it after the fact. He said he does not want to feel Nelson from The Simpsons again. And then cuts a promo on Tom Brady uh, to win the 24-7 title back. It's been, I'll say this, I'm not expecting this. But it would be amazing if this guy ends up going and challenging Rob Gronkowski... (laughs) And Tom Brady does some kind of run in and helps Gronkowski retain this title. I think that would be the, that would to me, I will say nothing negative of the 24 seven title ever again. If they get Tom Brady to actually be involved in, in a segment when they film this at some point down the road. Oh, that would be a wonderful surprise. Yeah. Like he's name dropped him twice. Now I was like, I'm not expecting it, but it would be such a fun cameo if Gronkowski, like this was part of his whole thing, was calling in a favor for Tom Brady to do a bit for WWE with him. I'm sure like Gronkowski would be able to do that. Maybe it'll happen. Uh, R-Truth and Bobby Lashley. Uh, Truth goes to the floor. He puts the pretty Ricky teeth in, but then starts landing some shots and Lashley overpowers him, drives him into the barricade, into the post, clotheslines, knees, Full Nelson slam, and then the full Nelson submission in 223. MVP comes out clapping, and we cut backstage, and Lana is losing her mind, just destroying everything backstage in uh, just uh, a rage. She can't take it. She can't take the fact that her um, her man is successful without her. She's like, I came to both of these tapings this week for this. Sorry, you just feels like Lana is completely there. Oh, um, what what do you th- see? As, do you feel like Lana is still going to be heavily involved in all of this, or is this like slowly a, an easing out uh, for Lana? Well, they're clearly like sowing the seeds for some some type of story between 
all of them. So I expect some resolution. I mean, is this, you know, her on her way out? Possibly. Very possible. Because I really like Lashley and MVP together, but I could also see Lana being ultimately uh, aligned with with the three of them as a group. We'll see where they go. Asuka and Sane are backstage. um, And then we just see Nia Jax staring at them in the background. And as Asuka and Sane go in opposite directions, Nia trails Kyrie. Mm -hmm. Almost waiting for like the Michael Myers, uh, the Halloween theme to start. Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross against the Iconics for the tag titles. The Iconics cut a promo talking about last week's match and said that they can drop off their titles. The future is right here. And the match begins. And they just had a sprint here for 245. Billy Kay missed a boot into the rope. Bliss gets tagged. She drops the knees down. Cross then attacks Peyton Royce and sends her to the floor. And Billy Kay kills Nikki with this running boot. Turns around right hand by Alexa. And then Alexa is on, on the top turnbuckle. Hits Twisted Bliss when Peyton Royce returns and throws Bliss repeatedly into the post. Once, twice, Three times, and on the third time, that's it. That's just too heinous. The DQ is called at 2.45. And number one, I, I thought I, I thought this worked a lot better than last week's match. They, You could see they, they worked very hard here. Um, it was super short, which to me kind of, I didn't really get up in arms about a DQ because it was so short. But what I did like was the fact that Peyton Royce like was visibly upset, like, what did I do? I actually cost myself these tag titles, and this wasn't just some trivial DQ. They actually tried to put some emphasis on this giant mistake that was made by Peyton Royce, who kind of just snapped here. Am I being too kind to this? Well, no, because that that was certainly the intent to set up the story afterwards between these two. Um, it was a very brief match, but I do feel like the Iconics look improved. They're harder hitting than usual. And what I didn't like was how Nikki Cross was celebrating the DQ win, you know, especially as a babyface. It's it's such a cowardly, like it should, I feel like the reaction should be more confusion and then acceptance than, you know, celebrating as if like you would just earn this win. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I guess, I guess for Nikki Cross, she, she went into this one. It's like, hey, we lost last week. Let's yeah. just try and escape yeah. any way possible. I guess so. So, um, first off, Kyrie is on her own with her recorder pray- playing Asuka's theme. Mm-hmm. Naya comes from behind and destroys her, throwing her into an equipment case, and Kyrie is just left laying. Yep. The Iconics are backstage. Billy Kay is yelling at Peyton Royce. That was our one chance, and you blew it. And she slaps Peyton, and both are shocked. That Billy Kay did this. And then they start crying. They hug. And they tell each other that they love them. So it's very strange. And I would not be advocating for these two to split up. But what what else could this be kind of hinting at? It's certainly the, the tease. Um, I think, you know, you, you could still end up with the story that doesn't result in the two of them breaking up. I If anything, I'm just incredibly happy that we are actually getting a story for the Iconics. And it's a story where the two of them can really rely on nobody but themselves in order to, you know, tell that story. Because certainly um, they are two performers that are that have great chemistry when they're on the same side. When they're dueling, I expect that to be probably 
you know, pretty compelling, at least in terms of, you know, backstage behind the scenes stuff. This is also a way to find this is also finding a way to tell a story between a women's tag team and the WWE without them actually needing the tag team titles. And certainly like on the SmackDown side of things, that's been very successful with um, Mandy and Sonya. Um, you know, the Iconics will be interesting because they've been so comedic throughout the entire run. Now that they actually have to do what you would assume to be, you know, a serious storyline, can they actually do it? But either way, like I'm, I'm happy for them that they're actually getting a story. Yeah, there's a lot of women's stories that are happening on Raw now between the, this Iconics thing they've just introduced with Asuka and Nia, which with Kyrie's attached to that. They're doing something now with Natalia's character. You've got Shayna in the mix. Um, but the odd ones out to me are Bliss and Cross that maybe they make more sense putting them on SmackDown with, with the tag titles where there are a lot of women there because uh, Bliss and Cross just seem they, they don't have any teams to work with and they're sort of just floating around. No, throughout this program with the Iconics, it really just felt like, you know, by the end of this, that they were there to further the Iconics' own story, which is still good, you know, which is like making use of these belts in order to tell something. But uh, yeah, on the SmackDown side of things, we'll see who they who they build them up for. And as always, we have to remember these belts can be defended on NXT as well. So if they ever see the need to do that, that they can use them there as well. Asuka is tending to Kyrie with the trainer. They say she's going to be okay, but Asuka is pissed. And then after the break, she tracks down Naya, and Naya just walks past her. So Asuka goes left kick cemetery, right kick graveyard, Mirko Krokop style on her, and leaves Naya. She, I won't say laying. It was more so like Naya went down and was posing like she was laying on a couch. That's kind of the look that was on her face. Like she was inconvenienced by this uh, head trauma. It was kind of nice of Asuka to kick Naya right next to some cushions lying on the exactly. Couch. Yeah. She oh. had her, well, she, she wants to keep her, her pay-per-view payday in, in check. She doesn't want to lay this woman out and she smashes her head on the floor or something. Sure. But I do love the fact that you had Asuka like get the better of the bigger bully Naya twice on this show. It, to me, like, again, helps her presentation as this badass baby face. Um, Shayna Baszler and Natalia had the perhaps shortest submission match in history. And this would be the example of one where I would say that perhaps like this is like something that they are. This was the one where it hit me that it's like, OK, they are they are going out of their way to keep all these matches into one segment because uh, this went three minutes and 48 seconds. Um, not that it was bad, just that it was you know, I'm, very sh- I'm honestly amazed because I watch all these matches and, you know, I never felt any of them were too long. Yes, but I never felt any of them were too short either. And I think maybe that tells you how I feel about long matches that don't need to be long matches. Long matches that are long only for the sake of like filling up TV time that have no storyline implications for them to be that long. This to me was perfectly acceptable for Natalia versus Shayna Baszler, which, you know, I, I was interested personally just to see the in-ring technique. But in terms of storyline, honestly, probably would have had trouble keeping my attention for an extended amount of time. So I, I had no problem with it. I thought this show moved. I thought that the pacing was was very good on this show. It was not... Like there were there were no blowaway matches on this show, but I can't. I, I thought that the pace was significantly better this week in terms of just one segment to the next. They kept 
reminding you what's coming up. And to me, it was an, an easier three hour show than than other weeks where it's we're going into the third hour and, you know, it's going to be that two to three segment match. And we're just we're just crawling to the finish. Mm hmm. So early on, the sharpshooter gets countered and Shayna goes for an ankle lock that Natalia kicks free. Shayna's like checking on her teeth. Uh, thought she was Anthony Smith here. Uh, Baszler attacks the arm and Shayna, this is one of the joys of no crowd that you can hear this stuff. She just tells Natalia, that heart crap doesn't work on me. Baszler stomps down and then Baszler goes for the sharpshooter. Natalia counters it to apply her own and Baszler fights to the rope, but they won't break it. And she has to crawl to the floor to get the escape. Natalia then tries a knee bar that Shayna counters, taking her back and applying the Kirifuda clutch, grabs the the arm of Natalia with her leg, and Natalia is forced to tap at three minutes forty eight seconds. Uh, f- fun match for the for the time it lasted. I'm not really com- complaining. They could have gone longer. I think these two would have had no problem getting eight or nine minutes, but it was. Entertaining for the time they had. I would love for these two to go longer once they have a better story established for it. Once there are more stakes attached to it. Once I, you know, have once they 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 earn really, you know, the ability to go ten, maybe even further than that. But you know, for a short match, I was completely satisfied here. I loved the finish. You know, um, you had Shayna here do this like beautiful like ninja roll type of counter into a rear naked choke. That is a very beautiful, very legitimate technique. And you don't see enough people with like legitimate grappling training, especially in the WWE, make use of like really pretty jujitsu techniques in a wrestling match. So for me, it was it was really nice to finally be able to sh- to see Shayna like, you know, do this style of match on a USA primetime TV show. Um, I love that these two continued to like you know be able to showcase the very unique chemistry that they have i hope it means more of this from Shayna in the future and seems to be you know a place to springboard to a natalia losing streak story you know what hasn't been uh put together is the fact that we have the timing of Shayna's main roster call-up coinciding with a new producer in mvp that is a guy that's a very experienced grappler that you know, I, I would think that would be someone that you you would assign to like the Shayna Baszler matches, I think would have the eye for what they're trying to do, but understanding Shayna's style a lot as well. Certainly, yeah, I'd love to know if if he he would be in, in charge of something like this. Certainly, you know, somebody like um like TJ, I think would have great knowledge of uh like legit, you know, MMA technique as well. And obviously if Shayna is involved, she'll probably suggest a whole lot too. Yeah. Um, and had the Kirifuda clutch not worked, she also had the back to be able to to bite the neck. That could have been the closing submission. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh. Does she have the mouth guard in though? Got to take the mouth guard out, out first, I think. Yeah, she reinserted it after taking the uh the kick from the uh the knee bar attempt. So she did have she did have that in. So that's uh, that was unfortunate. Natalia is just devastated and. This, like the the last match, I thought that there was a bit of a focus placed on losing the match. Like there was some some weight attached to this loss, uh, much like it was for Peyton Royce. And there, the crew is quickly changing up the set because the Kevin Owens show is coming up. So they're getting all the props into the ring. And Natalia's just in there. She's throwing a fit and just tears apart the set. And Samoa Joe just buries her, says this is beneath her, and just 
runs down Natalia for being a, a poor sport and that this is beneath her to be acting childish. It's, you know, it's it's interesting to see how effective WWE may be lately in trying to tell stories through losses. You know, we saw it with Apollo Crews. Um, it seems to be, you know, his losses coming off of uh, being taken out of money in the bank are ways to springboard him into an actual push. And it, it looks like it might be the case here with the Iconics as well and also Natalia. So we shall see. I love the fact that they had her, like, have her tantrum as the KO show stage was being set up. <laughs> it I was thought. a nice touch. That it was, was really it, funny. Yeah. And, and what I liked about it was, like, they weren't just hitting you over the head. Like, it's just a visual that you can see. And you get the story just through the visual. You don't need to have Tom Phillips yelling at us about, oh, Natalia's still upset. And look, they're moving on to the next segment. This is such a, a disservice to Natalia. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, we, we get it. It was like a nice little... um it told the entire thought process of what Natalia is going through and yeah. made it clear. I'm interested to to know like what sort of change we're going to see in Natalia, because I think if it's just another heel turn, like we saw not that long ago, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that would be like, you know, a little disappointing. I would love to see like a full on character shift in her, you know, maybe like a different style of promo, uh, maybe even a different style of wrestling. Because I feel like part of her disappointment here should be the fact that Natalia's gimmick for the longest time is that she is a technician of the roster. Well, here the technician lost a submission match to somebody who, you know, has proven now to be better at submissions than her. So, like, this this should be the start of some sort of personality crisis for Natalia. Andrade, Austin Theory, and Hector Angel Garza are all arguing backstage. And Zelina Vega walks in and tells them all to stop. They're going to go out onto the Owen show and be on the same page. And she goes one by one asking if each of them understand. And she gets to Austin Theory. Do you understand? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my gosh. The... I, I I gave too much personality to this response. This was a robot's response, Austin Theory. Yeah, at this point, he hasn't really, you know, been called upon to to do too much more. Honestly, like he's he's just really a body right now. Yeah, I don't know how much you can really do with "Yes, ma'am" as your big line, mm-hmm. but um, there we go. Kevin Owens is out to his dismantled set, and he talked about getting his moment at WrestleMania that came at a price because he got banged up, but he's good to go now and he's back. Vega comes out with the crew and she thinks Owens only wants a Jerry Springer episode based off of one little issue that they had. She explains that Andrade is a God among insects. Insects. Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, that's what, is that offensive to insects? I guess so. I just, I can't imagine getting so upset that I was like, you bug, you life form that I mean, is beneath me. It's certainly not a compliment. Like if I called you an insect, would you? I wouldn't know how to respond to that. I mean, I think I'd be pretty resourceful if I'm a, if I'm one of these, uh, these killer hornets, I mean, I'd, I'd be a threat. You'd be deadly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the insinuation is that you're small. Okay. She then uh, speaks about Angel Garza as the lethal Lothario who breaks faces and hearts. 
and then gets to Austin Theory. He's the prodigy. And she is the best this business has seen in a long time. See, I like Selena Vega that she doesn't go the WWE route. She's humble. I am, yeah. I am the greatest ever. No, I'm the best we've seen in a long time. Nice statement that like has its yeah. its equal amount of like under uh, qualifying as I'm, well. I'm the twelfth best wrestler that is currently on Raw right now. Of all the of all the managers that have come by in the last, well, let's say five years, I'm top tier. I'm I'm up there. Yes, I think we need more truthful statements like that. She said they came from the streets and survived. But so, but all streets come with sidewalks, and they're for people like Kevin Owens. You sidewalk insect, <laughs> French Canadian. Ouch. Owens is chastised because he's standing on the apron and is explaining that, you know, I've been outnumbered by a lot of people over the last while, so that's why I'm here. And also, we're having another guest, Apollo Crews. And Apollo Crews storms out. He tackles Andrade. They have this wild brawl. This was the most fire I have seen in Apollo Crews ever. And this would set up a tag match after the break as uh, Kevin Owens' uh, Kevin Owens' comeback was uh, a commercial break to get ready for. I thought it was the most fire I saw out of Crews since the slap three weeks ago. Oh, this was more to me. This was a really good brawl for the 30 seconds it lasted. Well, I think it told me that Cruz, you know, despite having three weeks off, still managed to, like, maintain that level of, I would say, um, I don't know, intensity in a comeback like this that uh, he, you would assume, would be able to pull out in any of his matches now. So it is just, you know, further proof that he now really does have this ability to be able to showcase that personality throughout the match. I mean, in many ways, I would say this was one of the missing elements of, of his entire game, coupled with, I think, a, a real improvement in his promo ability as well. So Apollo uh, brawled with him, and then he yelled at Zelina. He said, I am an insect. I'm a bee because I've got all the buzz in this show. Jesus. Andrade and Angel Garza took on Owens and Cruz. Um, this was a telltale sign way because what was the first thing that happened in this match? Off come Garza's pants. I immediately wrote down, not going long. Cruz left knee is wrapped up, selling the injury. They snap Owens neck on the top. Cruz, uh, gets tagged. Um, Owens, while he was in there, uh, very hard hitting for the like 30 seconds he was in this match. Cruz then gets tagged and Andrade immediately tags out to avoid Cruz and gets dropped off the apron. Cruz hits a spine buster. Again, a lot of fire. Vega gets onto the apron and then Austin Theory goes to strike from the apron, misses, hitting Garza by mistake and Cruz hits his spinning sit out powerbomb that is called the toss powerbomb. Definitely needs a new name, and he wins in two minutes and 53 seconds. The mm-hmm. toss powerbomb. Yeah. Uh, Cruz's big return, seemingly uh, pushing their way towards Cruz Andrade, and maybe not as impactful of a return as I envisioned, but it really does depend on the follow-up. I thought this was a really good appearance for, for Cruz. Um, are you talking about Owens or Cruz? I'm talking about Cruz. Yeah, I, I really liked the segment. It was really good for Cruz, I thought. 
Owen's yeah. kind of just more and more of a background player here. Well, I suppose for me, like I, I envision like Cruz coming off of the show three weeks ago, really to me as like the star of that particular show that I, I suppose I expected something maybe a bit bigger than like coming in in the middle of a Kevin Owens show segment. Um, but at the same time, nothing's really going to seem that big or small without a crowd there anyway. They argued in the ring, and then Andrade attacks Austin Theory, and Garza starts helping him. Andrade uh, sends him to the floor. Joe calls this beatdown the severance package, and Vega calls Austin Theory useless, and they never should have believed in him and gives him the slap of death. He's sent into these chairs and left laying, and boy was this a beatdown because it would last multiple segments. Um... He just laid dead oh, here his, for his like laying, his laying down last multiple segments. Yeah. Charlie interviewed Drew McIntyre. Monday night is a good time for a Claymore party. And he and uh, the invites between brands allows for dream matches. And his number one dream match has fallen into his lap. King Corbin, because he's genuine, genuinely a terrible human being, but he's also dangerous. And you've chosen to fight me. You're out of your mind. And he has a special Claymore fit for a king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine. Back to the axe throwing. The Viking Raiders are very good at this. The Street Profits are very bad at it. There was a line where Montez Ford was getting ready, and he said, I have to get my Tiger Woods on, as he got a grip onto the axe. And Ivar said, wait, there's tigers in the woods? I applaud this because there was not a Tiger King joke that immediately followed it. Ford then launches an axe into the forest. We continue after the break. Dawkins winds up and the axe goes into a barrel of water. And all of the fellow Vikings are pissed about this wasteful uh, display. Um, yeah. Yep, I mean, I, I was uh, awaiting the punchline, and by segment three, we had not gotten there yet. It was but very, we still had two more segments to go of this. Yeah, yeah, very corny this week. But I mean, last week was pretty corny as well. Uh, but this time, they're they're dragging it out to several segments. Alistair Black and Murphy, Murphy and Rollins are already out. They didn't even do the entrances for them. Rollins is already checked out of the match because he notices this prone body by the timekeepers area. It's Austin Theory and Black is attacking uh, Murphy. He goes to the floor. He misses a kick and he kicks the post, which, I mean, you should see some of like these seasoned like Muay Thai practitioners. They're kicking trees all day. Like they're they're calloused up. This would this would have no impact. This would just be like another day training. But this this killed Alistair Black. He was uh. He was legless for the rest of this match. Rollins offers his hand to Austin Theory, telling him, I know what you're here for. And Murphy has made his comeback, but the knee sets him up for the black mass. But Rollins sends in Austin Theory for the DQ in two and a half minutes. And Black goes after Theory. Murphy assists. They double team him. Kamagoye and then the ATL by Austin Theory. Rollins hugs Theory. Meanwhile, Murphy is watching from a distance across the ring, which may as well have been five miles apart. And suddenly, Rollins has a new favorite toy named Austin Theory. And Woody is just staring at Seth Rollins and Buzz. Woody. 
because he's wooden. Toy Story. You're talking. You're saying Austin Theory is Woody. No, he's Buzz Lightyear, the new toy. Woody is the old discarded toy. Oh, I see. I see. I get it. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like they're they're built. You know, rebuilding Seth Rollins' stable, which means this whole gimmick is definitely here to stay. And essentially, it's just transitioning theory from Zelina's group to Rollins' group, which I think is fine. You know, it likely just means that you know instead of being Zelina's fall guy, he's now Rollins' fall guy. <laughs> but um, it's. I don't know. I guess it builds Rollins back into back up into a bit more of a threat without the uh, authors of pain being around. I guess. Yeah. This group just has no life at the moment. We'll see where they go. This is kind of a stage one with Austin theory inserted. It is interesting to note that with him being added to the IC title tournament, it seems like AJ styles is, it feels like he's been taken off raw. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And that would make sense. I mean, he has, uh, he comes back, he goes on Mixer, and he's not on Raw. Uh, but he's on SmackDown. Well, he's on SmackDown. It's just kind of a, well, I, I guess they figure, yeah, he's There's just no going to be there for, now. For, for him on Raw. He's probably going to face Brian on SmackDown or somebody else. More axe throwing. Now we're on to the competition. Each side gets 10 axes, but only a score is counted if you hit the bullseye. So the Viking Raiders are dominating. The Street Profits are terrible. On his last try, Ford hits a bullseye. Just because. But then the police show up with an axe that has gone through their windshield. And they ask, who did this? Well, by process of elimination, let's find out who can throw this properly. And Dawkins does a trick shot by throwing the axe backwards and hitting it. And that proved that it can't be them because they can only throw bullseyes. They could not possibly have missed. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, it's it's so. I I love the idea that a cop would try to solve a mystery by getting people to throw an axe to see who might be the one to do it and who wouldn't. I would hate to see these two cops investigating a homicide. <laughs> who shot this person? <laughs> By mistake. Let's see who can hit targets. No, it's incredibly stupid. And and again, like, you have to kind of be like, I watch this the way I would watch something like out of the 80s that the WWE would have produced. Um, in comparison to even some of those, this was Dude, not. Dude, Fuji like, Vice would have been way more thought out um, in its time than this was. It's very true. But um, I think I'm just grateful that for anything that gets them out of the arena at this point. Yeah, with a big group. Completely unnecessary group. You think they were testing at this axe throwing competition? I d- I doubt um, they were even axing them if they had been pro- properly social distancing ahead of this time. Okay, <laughs> uh, moving on. That was as bad as a segment. Charlie and Apollo Cruz. He was injured and lost his spot at Money in the Bank. He doesn't know which one was worst. This has been the longest three weeks of his life. And he had to look deep. I can't waste any more time. Next week, I'm challenging Andrade for the United States title. And Vega walks in saying, you can cut your losses with one good knee and pull out of this match. Or you can face Andrade next week and never walk again. What a threat. (laughs) 
I mean, Apollo should have just said, have you watched my run? I had my legs cut out from under me multiple times in this company, and still I can stand on these two. Oh, my. Excellent. Yeah. Then we had our final. Uh, I thought Zelina was great on this show, by the way. She's always really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, that to me is no surprise, but I, I thought Apollo continued to impress me. You know, I liked Apollo, too, on this. I thought this was I, I was more impressed uh, with, with kind of his involvement here than even like a couple weeks back. I thought he really showed like he was, you know, in I, I don't want to say um, like taking this seriously, but more so like you can see like a certain confidence level that this is a real push that he believes he is in the midst of and is rising to the occasion for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, rather than. Maybe how he came across with the Shorty Gable feud? Is that what you're exactly. saying? Exactly. Yes. Uninspired. Right. The last axe throwing contest has the cops doing a lineup here with the four of them. And in, they're explaining that someone could have got seriously hurt, but they're going to let them go because Ivar is cute. But Eric, not so much. And Ivar gives a big grin. To end the segment. This was the culmination of like five of these things at yeah. the end of it. No, so I mean, um, to me, what's coming out of this is that like the Viking Raiders are going to be like these fun goofball characters, which can never have enough goofballs in this company. But that's what this felt like. That this was more so about the Viking Raiders who kind of come out of this as like the baby faces in all of this. To I me. Think the- I think the attempt throughout this entire month has been to try to give the Viking Raiders some level of personality, and they tried to do that with this carpool karaoke thing that I think by their own admission on TV was a complete failure. So instead, they are doing things like this, which... um, They they had some fun lines between last week and this week. I mean, this wasn't awful. It just, it was was a lot of time dedicated to this bloody axe-throwing thing. And I wonder if they're just going to continue these for a few weeks. Are we just going to go through the gamut? Where else do you go with them? I mean, hockey. Hockey's an easy one. Hockey, okay. Who would you I, good at of hockey? what they have access to? I don't know if they can even get into a rink right now, though. Putting the Viking Raiders on skates in their gimmicks, there's some comedy well, to that. Who, I mean, the way they've done it is that everybody has a has an advantage thus far, or at least perceived advantage so far. So, who would have the advantage in hockey? Um. Yeah, I don't know. It might be a pick em. Maybe like this is like they're, they're, they've split both games and now they get a wild card choice and they're going to go to something where they're both at a disadvantage. Yeah, could be. I bet you Ford's great on skates. He seems like a guy that could probably have uh, no problem playing hockey. Oh, uh, I mean, I mean, they're all athletes, but yeah, sure. Skating's tough. I haven't skated Very. in a long time. It it is difficult, but once you know, once you get the hang of it, not so bad. Before the main event begins, Lashley comes out with MVP. MVP reminds us that Corbin retired Kurt Angle, and MVP then says in a complete lie that he could spend ten minutes going over all the impressive things that King Corbin has done. Ten minutes, okay. I was waiting for Corbin to just say, "Okay, go." That should have been the main event of Raw. That would have been the longest segment on the show. Lashley says he's putting Drew McIntyre on notice, and he's coming for his title. And they just watched the match. We got nine minutes of Drew McIntyre, King Corbin, where Drew is, he like, his thing now is like, he kicks out at one. 
He hit, he was hit with a superplex, kicks out at one, does his comeback, hit with a spine buster. Then he's hit with a bunch of offense, side suplex, kicks out at one. Then he catches Corbin with a kick to the body, future shock, but the Claymore is stopped at the deep six. McIntyre gets up, Glasgow kiss, and then Corbin does his swing, going around the post on the floor, into the ring, off the ropes, into the Claymore, and Drew pins him 9-10, and Drew yells that I want to fight this Bobby Lashley, holds up his title to end the show, and that looks to be backlash. Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, in the greatest WWE title match in the history of June 14th. You really don't think this one will close the show, eh? No, no, I think you have to finish with Edge and Orton. How do you follow the greatest match of all time? Well, that's the thing, yeah. Um, yeah, we shall see. This match was fine. I thought, you know, just pretty standard. Um, I would say fairly forgettable, but fine. Yeah, almost, um, I mean, it kind of tells you where the um, the heel side is, that this kind of feels like it's a waste of utilizing a guy coming over from SmackDown, which this brand-to-brand invitation, they they definitely downplayed it this week. There was nothing set up for next week. There was there was no even plugging uh, on this show that AJ's in this tournament, that um, I guess they pushed Charlotte and Bailey. They did promote that uh, tonight. But mm-hmm. um, the brand-to-brand thing, it, seemed, it, it felt very much like a back-burner thing. Right, right. Um, I wonder how much of that is due to the fact that this one was taped. Like, so... You know, pretty much in succession with the last one. Um, did was there nobody? I'm trying to think right now. On nobody. tonight's show, yeah. there was just Corbin on the show. Well, yeah, I guess okay. So you mean like there wasn't enough promotion of it? I just they didn't make a whole. They didn't make too big of a deal of it, nor did they kind of set anything up for anything coming up either with it. I, um, I doubt that they know what they're doing next week. Maybe not. Um, yeah, those are new shows next week. So, anyway, that was raw. Again, I thought the pacing was was better than than most weeks. Um, the shorter matches, I didn't have a big issue with. It's mm-hmm. um, you know, there's good and bad to it. I mean, short matches they don't really resonate, but I thought tonight they, um, I like the submission match. What, what they did there, they did some good stuff with Apollo. Zelina was a standout on this show. Um, Ed Jordan segment um, to me, it it did what it needed to do, setting setting up the match. Not digging this Seth Rollins, Austin Theory, Murphy alliance, but there's um, – and the MVP stuff. MVP with, with Bobby Lashley. We're like getting to, to that combination. So that's where we are on Raw. I thought it was um, an easier show to watch than some weeks. I thought there's a – I feel like there's a happy medium where you can make sure a show flows really well while still giving people, I think, um, you know – a level of match quality that I think they've come to expect now, even from something like raw. And this week feels like it, it's an experiment to get there. So we shall see how the ratings reflect things. Um, but for a tape show that typically I would say lacks a bit more energy than your um, fresher shows, at least I would say, I, I thought the show was fine uh, and moved along well, but didn't really make that big of an impact. I would go six on this show. Six sounds good. Yeah. Well, the forum gave this a 5.07, so slightly below what we are saying. Paul from New Jersey writes, What's with this greatest match ever crap? What a bizarre spin and unnecessary pressure to put on a match. Seth Rollins has really had a terrible run in terms of character. The Iconics got screwed. Be interested to see if that goes anywhere or if this was a simple case of Royce Rage. 
Kyrie Sane is so outgoing and refreshing while Nia Jax just stinks. Show gets a three. Royce Rage. Not bad. All right, we got to Adam from the street who says, The beginning of tonight felt like Halloween 2, kicking off right where the previous edition left us, with Charlie still standing in the ring. A few notes on tonight. While Edge hyped up the IC title better than promos for the upcoming tournament probably will, I do not want to see him anywhere near Randy for another nine years. I'm hoping at Backlash they really do have the best match ever, which one day becomes a topic for an entire podcast from the BDE, just so we can all move past this feud. Scott Stanford doing updates from what looked like Bill Maher's backyard was something. I think that was Sarah Logan on Hangman Page's horse. When Asuka mentioned she was a Grand Slam champion, I couldn't help think, but think about Bailey saying she was the only one to achieve the acclaim this past Friday. Two weeks ago, ratings reached an all-time low. Charlotte being on every show is an obvious tool to try to gain some fan interest. While there has been some positive moments, with tonight and the promise of more on Friday, have you guys started to feel some flare fatigue? Flare fatigue. I mean, it's uh, she is on all the shows. I wouldn't say it's... Um, it's not like she's dominating the shows. She's just appearing on all of them. Um, yeah, a lot of people were questioning if that was uh, Sarah Logan or not. I don't know if it was or not. They certainly paid attention to her that it was... Um, like, they kept the camera on it. That It wouldn't surprise me if that ended up being her, but I... I couldn't tell. Could you? I didn't see BT yet. yet. Is that what you're no, no, no. About? Sarah Logan on the horse during the axe throwing segment. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't notice. Didn't I notice mean, her her like nose was all covered. It was like hard to get like a good look at her face. Um, but anyway, lots of people were thinking it was her. Uh, let us continue with Andrew from Cape Breton. Remember those legendary vignettes where the Road Warriors played carnival games with their opponents? At this rate, the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits will be more like the Ascension than the Road Warriors. I'm now of the belief that when those crazy revival gimmicks came out, that WWE weren't trying to embarrass them, but actually thought it was a good idea. Despite that, there weren't that many negatives on the show. Kyrie played Asuka's theme on a recorder. What more do you want? I like Charlotte just running through people. I like Austin Theory potentially getting a new role with Seth Rollins, and I like that they finally might do something with Apollo Crews. They also seem to finally be pulling the trigger on Lashley and MVP together. A lot of the angles aren't bad, but the ones that are end up being really bad. Six out of ten. We go to Rich in Winnipeg via East Selkirk, who says, I thought that nothing could follow up how bad the pickup game from last week would be. I was wrong. (laughs) Axe throwing is worse. I thought that the police would be there to bust them for crowd size. With the bad acting, obvious cuts, and the stupid idea, it will be hard to top this in terms of bad things for, th- for them to do while waiting for their match at Backlash. I have been wrong, however. Other than that, it was yet another average MT Arena show. While the lastly Drew pairing could be interesting with MVP involved, other than that, nothing else seems to interest me. Maybe the idea that with no AOP, Seth Rollins wants to increase his stable now. With the potential Murphy turn coming and the setup for Edge versus Orton. Four and a half out of ten. Nick from Lansing. This was an average episode of Raw with some interesting story progressions, but not a lot to talk about in terms of matches to write home about. There's probably going to be a lot of talk about the new not wildcard rule. And as confusing as that was, I personally was most confused when Corbin and Drew were getting ready to face off. And I suddenly had the vaguest memory of these two men in a faction together. Braun Strowman was there and Lashley was involved. I swear it was at that exact moment that Bobby Lashley's music hit. And I decided the world was fucking with me because absolutely none of this was talked about on commentary. I need someone to back me up or set me straight. Um, I mean, they did mention it I, at the very least last week, and in the match itself, you had Corbin taunting Drew for being a follower. 
Yeah. I mean, Corbin did mention it in a few promos about, you know, riding his coattails and such. Mm-hmm. Not that it was a very memorable grouping. No. We got a Jordan from Kitchener who says, so, so that was a tough one to get through. But here's a couple of thoughts that popped while watching, popped into my head while watching Raw. Four, it was nice to see Sarah Logan as an extra in the sketch, so I guess I guess so. Three, WWE tried to make King Corbin showing up tonight a big deal, but in reality, it just made me care less about the main event. Well done. Two, it's taken the company four years to push that new up-and-comer Apollo Creed or Cruz. It only took them a pandemic to realize what they had. One, legitimately, I forgot that Bianca Belair is on the main roster. Tonight, I got a reminder. Yeah, they did have a video package on her. Denise from Georgia, Edge and Orton had a great match in 04 at Vengeance and a good match in 2006 on Raw to write off Orton after his first wellness violation. They had good chemistry back then, but now I don't think they can pull it off. Austin Theory is just going from one stable to another, being someone's goon. I know it's WWE, but how did it take this long to figure out how to use Lashley correctly? The Street Profits Viking Raiders skits were a hot mess, and I'm not on board with Charlotte running through all the women. The only saving grace for this week's show is the continuing of booking for Drew. He still looks credible. Two out of ten. All right, we got a finally Alex from Portland who says, While I hated the Axe Thorn competition, it at least was a break from the empty arena setting. I am less excited about seeing the two teams meet now. Suppose I've lost the smoke. Rumors are circulating that Rey Mysterio's contract is up soon and the eye injury last week is a way to potentially write him out of storyline. You know what else would be a great way to write a guy out of a storyline? Having him be thrown off of a roof by Baron Corbin. I see more upside in Ray Corbin feud than I do a Ray Rollins feud, at least with this current character. Question with so many contenders on Raw, including Owen Styles, Andrade, Black, Rollins again, and Lashley, and the potential to have someone from SmackDown challenge, what sort of priority do you think can be given to Jinder Mahal for a title shot against Drew? Is it out of the question that his title opportunity is at a pay-per-view? Uh, they really have to heat that guy up. I don't, I don't dismiss that, but... I mean, Jinder, like they brought him back. He did he, what? He did that promo last week that he's going to be uh, a hero on his journey back to the top and then nothing this week. So like they just don't have any idea for him right now, or at least they have not introduced an idea for him yet. Yeah, I'm, I, I almost, I'm almost positive it's something that they're building towards, uh, at the very least something that they can do on a TV show. Um, is it big enough for a pay-per-view? It really depends how well they can build gender back up and that's i think a big if right now considering i think the the levels he's kind of fallen down to and i think the amount of backlash no pun intended that the audience will will probably treat a gender mahal push with um but it's certainly something that i'm sure they you know i'm sure they're thinking about last thing here uh have you seen the second episode of the last ride yes i have yes yes so i have this was this was the second episode, and this kind of picks up where the first one left off with the aftermath of WrestleMania 33 and Undertaker going back to watch this match, and he hates this match. Yeah, to me, this one was a, even more interesting than the first one because, uh, you know, um, what I find so compelling is seeing a wrestler critique his own work. And especially in this case, somebody like The Undertaker, who I think there's still a great deal of novelty in seeing not just him talk out of character, but him, in this case, critiquing his own wrestling matches. And in this case, a match that 
I remember being on the floor, John, like, in, or, or not being on the floor, but being in the arena and just like cringing at the same like tombstone spot that they messed up and just, you know, coming out of that match, not feeling all that great about it. And to see that Mark Calloway himself was probably the most critical of anybody, uh, of any fan watching, like the man had tears in his eyes as he was like talking about it. Um, that was incredibly like captivating TV. Yeah, I thought, again, I feel like Michelle McCool is becoming like as engaging as anyone else on this because she has the perspective of someone that is she is with this man day to day and understands his just like it's it's kind of the comparison of a guy that is like a compulsive gambler that's constantly just going for that next big win. And with him, he's chasing that that final great match and you're never going to have, despite what you may advertise a pay-per-view to be, you're never going to have that greatest match ever. There's always going to be something you can nitpick, something that you can, um, you know, poke holes in. And she also has a perspective of a performer herself. And it's, it's very interesting watching as he goes through the, his second hip replacement surgery uh, after WrestleMania 33 and they're in the like it's the post op and they're both there in the hospital and this guy is fresh out of hip replacement surgery and Michelle McCool is talking about the fact that this is a blessing and a curse a blessing that he's going to feel better and can do more things but the curse is that he's going to start questioning how much more he can do and right there he's joking yeah like next april like he's already got that in his mind that wrestlemania next year Four weeks after this pretty definitive declaration that I'm done, I'm finished, it's immediately like his his knee-jerk reaction here as they're talking on camera, that that is not out of the question that I wrestle again next year. And it's like we're right back to square one. It's it, And it, there, it's the only time we see like somewhat of a example of tension between the two. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it, you almost get the sense that it's not something that she – she feels like she's kind of given up uh, on on trying to control, you know, and it, it it in many ways I would say a very familiar story, especially in professional wrestling, of people being unwilling to to uh you know just quit. And in this case, though, I find really interesting because it's Undertaker's motivation to re- redeem himself for the performance he had the year prior that made him seemingly you know be more motivated to work harder than ever to get back into shape. Uh, to to have a proper match at WrestleMania 34. So, like, the main things covered in this are, you know, the fallout of WrestleMania 33, he has his hip replacement surgery, and then we fast forward to the summer when he's going to Stanford with Michelle to meet with Vince McMahon, who leaves this guy hanging as he's off working out at the gym. So you got Undertaker just waiting for this guy, and that's where we kind of go into the entire relationship of the Undertaker-Vince McMahon that I think no one listening to this would be surprised to know it's a close one, but to hear it from the Undertaker, from those around him, that this is this is Vince McMahon's highest lieutenant that he has you know worked with for the entire duration of this Undertaker character, and the scene that uh, I'm sure many people point to of uh, Vince McMahon uh, pretty much just like breaking down or at least being on the verge of breaking down as he's asked what the Undertaker means to him. Yeah, yeah, a uh, pretty rare sight of of seeing Vince, you know, cry on camera. And I'd love to know like what 
what led up to the question because i think just the question itself doesn't necessarily you know seem like it would um command tears like that so i'd love to know like what the context was what sort of questions were leading up to that one this is like a string of vince mcmahon with like the waterworks i mean he was tearing up in the andre documentary now this one well um maybe he's just a really emotional guy how about the line from kane vince mcmahon is one of those people if you're loyal to him he'll be loyal to you and unless you happen to be working with him during a pandemic where you're coming to uh, work shows for him. Uh, I, I don't know how far that loyalty goes during uh, stockholders' uh, expectations must be met. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, never worked with him. I don't know the man personally. Only know, I think, what you know, what the world knows that's being reported. Um, anyway, can't really speak on that. What did you think about his fashion choice? Undertaker's? No, Vince with the orange shirt. Oh, I mean, it seemed like it was his workout shirt, wasn't it? Orange. Like, that's a, I'm going out in public in orange. That's a, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. Well, statement. this was a Saturday. Yeah, this is Saturday at the office. And mm. yeah, uh, he's got to wait around for him. And then Vince kicks the cameras out. So it's not all access here. And Undertaker kind of gives them the lowdown of what they, they met. And he kind of just left it. It's pretty much like, what do you want to do? And Michelle notes that if Vince asks him, Undertaker will be in. Like, that's it. He's not going to... Anything Vince wants, Undertaker is going to do. Like, that is pretty much the relationship that um, Undertaker is going to do whatever he has asked um, by Vince McMahon to do. And it's kind of left at the fact that he's going to... He's going to train and see where he feels, uh, how he feels. And we kind of get into this whole... Uh, training regimen that he puts himself through where they have to go to this abandoned jet ski warehouse to set up a ring that the WWE has to have these rings just on standby for guys that are considering coming out of retirement. Um, that's going to be the clincher. Send them a ring. Uh, but this one, th this was much less of a luxurious setup than Edge had on his property. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Because uh... places leaking. Uh, it just, uh, didn't seem like the most ideal place, but, um, yeah, he trains and then he's got a deadline of February 25th during WrestleMania season, the night of elimination chamber to let Vince know if he's in or out for WrestleMania. And on that day, he waits up until the pay-per-view sends Vince a video of him bumping in the ring and telling him that he might not be as good as he once was, but for one night he can be. And he's in for WrestleMania, and that is the setup for the John Cena match that they would build up for WrestleMania by Cena doing all the promos, and we never saw Undertaker in the lead-up, and they went into WrestleMania without officially announcing the match. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that year's build, I I, I feel like the... I, I was going into that year's WrestleMania firmly recognizing that I think the Undertaker... That we were all expecting to, you know, have that great performance. I I felt the chances of that were pretty, pretty much gone, um, as evidenced to me by the performance in WrestleMania 33. So, and I I I do wonder if the WWE themselves recognize that because of how they definitely had to have they yeah. had to have given the what we'll get into here with like the timing of the match and everything. The, the match was incredibly short, and the fact that they didn't even announce it beforehand all allowed them to let people not get their expectations too high. 
that we were going to see another Shawn Michaels, you know, uh, five star match or four and a three quarter star. Which, match. like, that to me was the interesting part that, you know, I, I don't think we had any, like, thought of in terms of this being a match that Undertaker was training and preparing for that four and three quarter star match. Like, mm-hmm. he was going into this with the idea of doing that classic and. WWE, to your point, in the buildup, I took it the same way that they were, they did not want to promise anything where the expectation level would, and let's, let's also like, John Cena is like a year or two removed from having those kind of those last big matches of his career. He's slowed down at this point too. Um, that, you know, it just seemed like the, the wires were crossed here. Like Undertaker was training for one thing, WWE was promoting another. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder at what point they they told Taker, hey, like the match is only going to be five minutes. Like, you know, um, you do kind of feel bad for him. The fact that he like trained so hard to get into like, you know, seemingly the best shape he's been in in years only to have a five minute match. At the same time, I completely understand the WWE being. I don't think they made the wrong call. I don't think they made the wrong call. Me neither. Um, Me neither. It does come off that it's like a last minute thing. It's not like they're timing out this, this show a month in advance that. I would imagine it was that weekend he found out what what his time was. I would imagine it was very close to um, the day, if not the day. Perhaps. At the same time, I mean, you're looking at this card, and it was already a really bloated card. Like, oh, it was... Without the, the kickoff, the, the, it was already five hours. The whole segment itself, like, you featured uh, Cena. You had to do the whole thing with Elias getting there. See, like, that... The whole thing probably ended up being, like, what, 20 minutes? But the match itself was just five. Not even. It was like he was being charitable. I looked this up. This was like two forty eight. This match goes. That's it. Um, wow. Yeah, like not even five. But again, like the year prior, I'm just looking up now. Taker and Reigns goes twenty three the year prior, and I'm sure they like everyone acknowledged it was a bad match, and uh, the length certainly didn't help that match. So I I do not fault them making that decision. But yeah, something was definitely. You know, Taker was coming into this and you see him, you know, pretty. This is a guy that you can see when he disagrees with certain things. Uh, He did that interview recently being asked about the streak and you can read between the lines of, you know, I I asked Vince twice. Are you sure? Um, And what am I going to do? I'm not going to not go out there. I'm not going to protest like you can see when he disagrees. But ultimately, he's going to be a good soldier and he is not going to be the one that's going to fight and and go against to get his way like he's if there's a disagreement uh ty goes to vince mcmahon yeah he just goes with vince's plan like he's not going to be that guy that's gonna put his foot down it feels like and you know coming off of the matchup with cena uh and him feeling as good as he did obviously um as we'll see in the next episode it gave him renewed motivation to keep going yeah, he's uh, uh w- one other comment here is in the in the build up for this, he's he's working with Primo uh, to get him ready. And uh, he says it's the best version of himself since the 2009 match with Shawn Michaels. And then he says in a line that, let's be honest, it's almost getting comedic at this point. Tomorrow may be the last time I make that walk. Yeah, please. <laughs> this being 2018, which, which go look up. This this guy was not just doing mania in 2018. He was doing plenty uh, by his standards in 2018. Um, and yeah, we, we get him saying, we don't sell time. We sell entertainment. And then he's off see, uh, talking with the big show saying he trained for 45 and he got five. And 
afterwards. He is happy with the performance. Uh, it's a short match, and he tells Michelle he might have another match in him, and her response is, oh, please. And he would. In fact, he would have another match in him uh, that month because he would be going to Saudi Arabia for the first uh, for the Greatest Royal Rumble show with Rusev. So, um, yeah, the preview of next week's episode is him being uh, somewhat more active in 2018. He does the casket match with Rusev, and then the the bigger focus is on the disaster that was Crown Jewel. Him and Kane versus Shawn Michaels and Triple H that they label a train wreck. And Michelle McCool saying, we're right back to the start of this vicious cycle of having to redeem himself. And this is the part where you start to feel like this is like there's a certain level of depression that sets in that this guy is just chasing something that he may never be able to to catch and be fully happy with. Like even a good performance, like he is happy with this John Cena match. Is it perfect? No, but he comes out of it happy, but he's back wrestling like four weeks later. Certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and guess- there's also money involved here. Like that's not brought up in this, yes. like the, the, the monetary, like this is not just creative satisfaction. It's also financial, you know, stability as well, that he makes a lot of money to wrestle. And that, that has to be kind of part of this. I would think so. I would think so. Um, you know, and, and but you know, as far as whether or not he'll stop, that's something that'll be um, that we we shall find out at the end of this entire series. Because certainly everybody will when when they do cover the AJ Boneyard match. I mean, I think I hope that they'll cover the audience reaction to it and the fact that it was over overwhelmingly with overwhelmingly positive reaction. Oh, I'm I'm sure they will. I'm and, sure like that's what, going. Well, that, that's I, kind of the tease is like episode five, like Taker's almost teasing, like there will be some kind of finality at the end of episode five, like some announcement either of one more match or that was it. Like he's kind of like hinting in that direction that by the end of five, we'll, we'll know something. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to next week. I love it when, you know, great wrestlers can talk about their great matches, but I almost like it as much when they can talk about their bad matches and we can see them be incredibly honest, hopefully about their failings and what went wrong. And to me, this would be the WWE's first admission about that Saudi Arabia match just being God awful. Um, so I look forward to seeing that. I hope we just get Sean, like get, get all your serious comments from undertaker and Hunter, like Torres peck in that match. And then let's interview Sean and be like, I, that wasn't me. I wasn't. I wasn't in that match. Yeah, I'm still retired. <laughs> that never happened. Um, anyway, how, how are you liking the the series so far? Two episodes in. How did this one contrast with episode one? With your your takeaways of kind of the tone that they've established and uh, j- just the content as well. How it holds your interest for sixty minutes. I actually enjoyed this one more. Uh, and like I said, because I I always find things a bit more interesting when we talk about perhaps the. Um, the the failings of of um, of a performer rather than you know just a straightforward celebration life is good that type of thing you need that at the end but I think to in order to really create drama you need some difficulty and clearly this match at WrestleMania 33 in this episode created well in episode one the 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 struggle was simply to get to the match and in episode two it was the struggle of wiping the memory of that terrible match away by getting ready for the next one and making sure that that one you were over prepared for. So I, I, I found this one actually quite, quite a bit more interesting. 
Do you realize, and I didn't until seeing this highlight package from WrestleMania 34 that year, that so Cena that year, he does the segment with Elias. The next year, he does the the rap character with Elias. And this year, like it was going to be Cena and Elias. We would have gotten three years of these two together. Elias was was the part of the uh, rap thing too, eh? Wow. Yeah, he was Man. that last year when I guess uh, that, Cena came out. I guess that might have been their thinking to build to a uh, you know a match between those two. Yeah, look at that. It's like we'll, we'll plan two years of. Well, I guess it, he got the same treatment of Cena Rock. Three mm-hmm. year, three WrestleManias together. Cena Elias. Anyway, I mean, yeah, didn't happen. The but, trilogy. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, um, that's going to bring an end to the show. Uh, just to mention a few things uh, going on right now. Uh, big vote for everyone to uh, register their selections with the Euro transfer window. The four cards are out, and everyone can see what Jamesy, Benno, Martin, and Andy Ogden have booked through their uh, through their transfer window selections. Uh, the cards are out, and you can go on Twitter at Post Wrestling and vote for which card is booked strongest of the four. It is pinned up there right now on the Twitter, and the voting is open until 12 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. All right. Uh, Tuesday night, Way and I are going to be back with a review of Captain Marvel, where we are going to be joined by my good friend, Ed Boxler, Wade's friend as well. And we're going to review that film, uh, which is the final film before Endgame, which will be next month's review. So if you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, uh, you can grab that. Also, uh, Andrew Thompson is going to have an interview up with uh, with Michael Oku later this week. And we've got our Double or Nothing post show Saturday night. We'll be going live right after the pay-per-view for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members of the cafe. So if you're I part of that. that's this weekend. Wow. Saturday night. Yes, we've got a pay-per-view. I uh, it's it just crept up. I mean, it felt like it was so far away, but okay. With a mystery participant in the ladder match. Okay, cool. Let the speculation run wild. Okay, that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, we'll be here Tuesday night for the Marvel review, and then Wednesday with Rewind to Dynamite. That is it. Postwrestling.com. Go check it out. Goodbye.